0: Uh, so I'm going to cover Delphi, as an ancient Delphi, not the modern town that's like kitty corner down the mountain, because <laughs> thankfully they didn't build their entire town on top of it. Yeah. Um, so my sources are worldhistory.org, ehistory.osu.org, Wikipedia, and the nationalgeographicsociety.org. Um, I had the hardest darn time researching this, because I knew what I wanted to say Mm -hmm. I knew the version of history I wanted to tell and that's not necessarily the most popular version of history on the internet (laughs) because what I found doing, labeling all these things is there's not a lot of English resources for Greece if you're not standing in front of the thing, like it's all translated there but nobody has like gone through and put it online in a non-book format right, which is really really wild to me so it took me a long, I had to like do so many clever searches to get to where I needed to get to.
1: I wonder if you like research the specific like area and then look at pictures and tourists have taken pictures as like a review mm-hmm. and put them online.
0: Thankfully I've had to do that when I've yeah. been going through my maps um, to get <clears throat> better words to search it. Yeah. Um, and I, and I almost caved and started doing all this research in German and then had to just, had to do the work of translating it all cuz I know they would have had a few more resources cuz they usually do for European history things yeah. even if it's not Germany. Um but I got I finally finally figured got a thing for it, which is that's the ehistory.osu.edu mm-hmm. was finally the um the theory that I wanted cuz that's what it's everything we know about Delphi for the most part is, like, archaeological theory other than what we have specifically written, and that's not necessarily in great detail of, like, how it was discovered. Um, I think there's some, like, oral histories for that in general, but there's not a lot. A lot of Delphi stuff is archaeology-based, and archaeology is mostly theories when you don't have writing to go with it. If you have writing to go with it, then you can be like, that's what happened, you know? But if you don't necessarily have writing to go with it, and who knows anyway so ancient delphi is located at the edge of a rift valley in central greece in the uh at the southwestern foot of um parnassus the big mountain there which is not olympus parnassus is a different one um if you're going to know a secondary mountain name in greece it will be
1: parnassus <laughs> not me not i no <laughs>
0: and it's it's um it's <clears> overlooking <throat> yeah, so this rift valley and it's like the very end of the rift valley that leads into some gulf portion that connects to the mediterranean so it's a really cool view um i can send you the photos you want to put on instagram for this one yeah I Mom in.
1: <laughs> yeah you can um otherwise it's just literally any it's, gonna be, o- I yeah, yeah, it's gonna be
0: overwhelming because <laughs> there's so many and all of them are the same picture so, just, just to cover really quick, a rift valley is a lowland region formed by te- te- tectonic plates moving away from each other, um, which is like the opposite of how mountain is formed. Mm-hmm. That's when they move together. And they go, boop, mountain. It's a crack, in the, ground, it a crack in the ground, everybody. in the ground. It took me two hours to figure out what that valley was called, which shows... Um, a little too much dedication and hyperfixation for me, but I had to know because I needed to know why it was there. Well, some, clearly, yeah, sometimes if
1: I'm like really into the research, I will literally not stop until I can find it. And it can be so hard. <laughs> well, I have been doing that valley too. And I didn't want to
0: say like view from Delphi. I wanted yeah. to say what I was looking at. It does, that valley contains the largest, um, olive orchard, mm-hmm. olive growing forest. I don't know if they're an orchard or not, but where olive trees grow, right? Um,
1: Speaking of olive trees, the one I bought from Trader Joe's is not doing well. <laughs> Only like half of the branches on it are still alive. Poor thing. It was
0: probably not doing too hot to begin with. It's I don't just know. How grocery store plants. I'm are. really
1: trying with it. I, I looked up like all the things you should do and they were like, well, Did you some totally of them. Did You want to repot it? Yeah.
0: Like, took all the dirt out from in between the roots? Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Yeah, then it's. Then I you think do so. Know... Well, like trees don't have a great survival rate in general, like baby trees. Yeah don't have a great well i'm like
1: surprised ride. that all the branches aren't dead yet it's literally yeah. half of them on one side all oh. of the leaves died and fell off or, or just there might like, have on been, like dry extra root rot on that
0: yeah side i that don't leads know. To that so and then the other
1: side is still fine but they said like if half of your tree is doing that then it like one half isn't getting enough sun or something huh. so i like scooted it back in the window because it's in my office yeah. i don't want it outside Cause I'm like, well, I was thinking of having it outside, but then I was like, if you have to have it inside in the winter, I don't want bugs to get in it. The office is it should be so, if it's gonna be able to live. The office is probably. I know, it's like full bet. sun, but anyway. Um, moving well, on. Anyway, well, yeah, it's River As the
0: story is. Has the biggest um, olive forest, yeah. in um, in Greece again <clears throat> like in that peninsula, not just Greece, like that whole peninsula thing. I don't remember what it's called. But it's, there's more than one country on that peninsula like Macedonia and stuff around it.
1: And all of the area, all of the region.
0: Um, I think there's a B. Doesn't matter. Either way. So it's really cool cuz you can see it. That's like the whole entire view. Is either mountains, the this town way down at the end that's on like that bay for the Mediterranean and then just olive trees. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, anyway. So that's that's the geographic situation for Delphi. Um, so the first sign of religious significance at the site date to around 800 BC, so that's around um, 2,800 years ago if you don't want to do quick math. Um, sometimes that means more to me than just a date. I'm like, great. <laughs> and legend says that the area was originally called uh, Pythos after the giant snake uh, that the god Apollo was said to have killed in the area, like Python. Like, mm-hmm. like P-Y-T-H. <laughs> Um, and then later it changed to Delphi, which um, happens to be um, the name of a she-serpent that Apollo killed. And like, sometimes the story is told in two different ways. It's either a boy snake called Pythos or a girl snake called Delphi. Either way, Apollo is said to have killed a giant snake in the area, like the god. Okay. <laughs> Earliest dated offerings that have been found at this site, which is how we get like that 800 BCE-ish yeah. time frame, um, include little clay statues bronze figurines and then decorated bronze tripods which are like make more sense later because i was like why when i first was like and why are we yeah tri- what are you sure it's a tripod is the best word for whatever you found <laughs> we'll get there um so there are a lot of older theories about why delphi um like why why the spot of delphi why on that mountain why was it prophecies that they were worshiping like all those things like what made this phenomenon at Delphi happen? Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of them. Um, I'm only covering one because I don't like most of those theories. I'm also not a Delphi expert. Um, anyway, something special was happening in Delphi that made ancient people believe that this spot is a place where you could see the future and produce prophecies. No matter what, whether this theory is right or something else entirely happened, it was a special place, obviously, because mm-hmm. you don't just build a religious town. A cult formed. Yeah, no, literally. That, well, that's religion exactly it. So
1: that's not wrong. <laughs> No, but that's also
0: what they call them within like yeah. the Greek pantheon. So, like, no matter what in Delphi, <clears throat> something crazy was happening and people thought it was a special divine gift. That's okay. That's me covering all my bases before anyone's like, why didn't you talk about this? So, the strange nature of Delphi, not necessarily it being, like, a religious center, um, was first noted around 1500 to 1100 BCE. We don't know exactly when. Because this one's, like, oral tradition stuff. Um, so, that's around, like, 3500 years ago, when a goat herder noticed their sheep acting strange around a crevasse. <laughs> goat her- her- herder ended up spending a little too much time investigating the crevasse and felt and then realized that they felt a little different. Um, as in high after it, breathing is it, is it gases or something. After breathing the vapors that were being released from the earth through that crevasse. <laughs> anyway, so after the goat herder noticed this strange crevasse, and I think a n- numerous goat herders probably noticed this, it's not just one person grazing their animals there. Yeah. But it's, it's other ways shepherds that are figuring out first, right? They're telling others, other people show up, they want to see the weird crevasse. <laughs> they also want to get a little high. Um, so they started investigating the site, experiencing the vapors for themselves. Um, some people who inhaled the vapors believed that it gave them the gift of sight and they could prophesy. And not everybody had the same experience because not everyone's, like trips the same way. Um, um, so there's a little problem with the, with this whole situation is that sometimes when you're overexposed to the vapors, you got a little bit disoriented and then you fell into the curvasse and died. Um <sighs> So as a safety measure, <laughs> they installed a tripod. Okay. That's why the tripod, like offerings, make sense now. It's Interesting. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so they install a tripod to allow individuals um, to be dangled over the chasm, so they can't <laughs> fall in. Stop it! Dangled. By the way, they continue using the tripod for like that's that's the way that the oracle. That's the, until they stop using the oracle. The oracle sits in a tripod. <laughs> mm. Um, I think it's like, like a little swing tripod. Yeah. Is the situation. Um, so eventually this is like an appointed position, the tripod sitter. Um, and at first this appointed person is a, uh, young virgin girl, obviously, um, and that Please was, like, the stop. plan for this, right? Until one of their virgin girls, I don't know if it was the first one, I don't know if it was the last one that was a girl, either way, at some point in time, one of the young virgin girl oracles runs away. with a young um, Thessalian man, um, so the rules were changed after Good that. Good for her. All right, Good for her. <laughs> no oracle could be under the age of 50, and that's how they're going to prevent that's their hilarious. oracles running away with... <laughs> So with men apparently they're like oh
1: we didn't account for young love. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so quickly a boom town forms around this site. Temples are built, rebuilt, priests are trained, rituals evolve and are perfected over time. Sacrifice sacrifices sacrifices are performed at the site. who? Um, oh. animal
1: sacrifices. Oh. Um Whoever falls in. <laughs> Probably falls in. Whoops! <laughs> Sacrifice. Sacrifice.
0: No, animal sacrifices. Um, treasuries from kingdoms, city-states, and principalities across from across the ancient world come there and build these, like, treasury spaces, which are just, like, offering houses. Um, there's, um, markets are built. Eventually, a sporting arena is built. A whole bunch of, like... There's a whole bunch of activities that pop up around the place. You, like obviously there has to be like lodging. There's probably restaurants. Like anything you can think of is probably mm-hmm. there cuz there's a lot of people there. So you got to well, accommodate built them. A Everything's going to
1: be there. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um So the divine source of the oracle's power varied over time. <laughs> like they're like mm, this god's not doing it for me anymore. We're going to switch out and see if this <laughs> to this one does it Fair better. Enough. Um that's the, gotta the keep beauty to open. Yeah. So anyway, the first, like, deity that they're worshipping there is Gaia, which ends up being Gaia later. Like, once mm-hmm. it's morphed into the modern form, it would be Gaia. Um, but this is, like, a pre-that form version of the, the Mother Earth, right? Um, then eventually, power site's not working too well, or maybe there's less gas, who knows what. They switch it out. They shift their focus to Poseidon. Um, Who is, interestingly enough, the god of earthquakes. So it sort of fits. I was trying to figure out, like, why would it be Poseidon? But if he's doing something to control the earth, then that would make sense. Especially if an earthquake happens and then more gases are coming out. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me that you would switch over, right? Um, And then after that, it's Themis, goddess of justice and law. That was probably a political reason that they switched. Mm-hmm. But eventually ends up being Apollo, who's also God of Prophecy. And I don't know if Apollo's God of Prophecy pre or post them deciding that Delphi is, like, a gift from him. I don't know. Didn't research that. Either way, Apollo is, like, the God they settle on, right? That's, like, the big temple the that's final. there currently now yeah. is, is the Temple of Apollo. So Delphi was considered to be the center of the Greek world um, to the point that they had this, this stone there, which is still there. Like you can see it when you're there, called the um, the Amphalos or the navel. It's, it's the belly button disgusting. stone because that's the center of nothing.
1: Is more disgusting than a belly button.
0: The center went. The center of the person is the belly Gag. button. Gag.
1: <laughs> I hate it's hate the belly, belly button. or not get me started. I
0: also dislike belly buttons.
1: I think they should be sewn up at birth. <laughs> Truly, <laughs> they're so gross.
0: So, as I said before, the tripod is, like, continuously used. um, Once they set it up and realized no one can fall in this way and it limits Mm -hmm. who can access it, they're like, great. Um, So, the oracle, after that, always in the tripod when they're doing their oracling. So, the oracle sat in a subterraneous, pitch-black chamber below the main temple. um, And, and like, they would close up the room and it would fill with vapors. And that's where she would receive her prophecies. (laughs) And I think she would come out of that room. I think she's basically the only person ever allowed in this space. Yeah, um, it's not like like the priests are standing around her while she's doing it because then they would be getting high too. I think she comes out after she's gotten a good dose and then says her words. So Plutarch, who is an old-timey Greek philosopher, historian, biographer, essayist, and priest at the Temple of Apollo hey, in no. Delphi, um, he lived between. Forty six and one hundred and nineteen A.D. So on the latter end of the use of Delphi. Um, either way, he said that from time to time, just outside the Aditon, which is the oracle's chamber, mm-hmm. um, when the door would open, he would smell this like strangely sweet smell coming out of it, um, which is great. Now we have historical evidence for this strangely sweet smell, which becomes important when we address what the gases are later. Yeah. Um, oh wait I moved it here it used to be at the end (laughs) now we get to know immediately what the gases are so this sweet spelling gas was like originally just like that's like incense or something that's nonsense like that's nothing we need to pay attention to like when historians and archaeologists Mm -hmm. were thinking about it until like semi-recently like in the last 30, 20, 30, 40 years I don't remember if it was like the 80s or the 90s anymore but sometime maybe 2000s I don't know it was the recent years um, I don't, I know who was, I don't remember who was putzing around. Someone's putzing around and it was like, they're like a geologist. And they're like, Oh, great. I finally found the fault line, which is something that previously no one had, like addressed went through that area. Mm-hmm. Like they knew the Rift Valley was there, but I mean like up on that ridge where Delphi sits, cause Delphi's not in the Rift Valley. It's above it. Yeah. Um, but not like on top of it. It's like, it's like a shelf before you're all the way down into it. It's, if you see on a map, you know, you'll understand Anyway, geologist was putzing around like Parnassus around the base, and it was like, they were like, oh, fault line. And everyone's like, nah, <laughs> there's no fault line here. We never found a fault line because it's like covered up at Delphi now. Yeah. But the crevasse isn't open anymore. Um, so someone else, like another archaeologist or something like that, someone related to archaeology or history, whatever, they're like, oh, heck, a fault line, um, which made them go and actually test. For earth gases. Mm-hmm. Before that, they were never addressing the concept that could have been earth gases, despite it being in a rift valley <laughs> in Greece, which is definitely known for seismic activity. Um, so they like they start testing the uh, the rock, and then also the water that comes out of the mountain right there. And in the water, they found ethylene, which is a brain-altering, sweet-smelling gas. Um, and it's still present today in, in the water that flows in the <laughs> It's, like, fine to drink the water, yeah. by the way. It is very good water. <laughs> they still have the spring, and you can go fill it up. It's best water. No. Second best water I've ever had in my life. The tap water in Quebec at that bed and breakfast was still better. Oh, that was good. <laughs> anyway. So, they like, they find this gas that 100% could be this, and then you go back to Plutarch saying sweet-smelling st- thing was emanating from there and he didn't know the source otherwise Mm -hmm. he wouldn't be calling it a random weird strange sweet smelling air because he'd be like yes we were burning this kind of incense in there because that's like his job is to record things right like that's what he's known for doing (laughs) I don't know the general accuracy of Plutarch to say if he's like an end all be all good source but I would think if your job is to be a priest in a space and you think it's weird this thing is happening Mm -hmm. That's probably a good clue later when you're doing this kind of research to be like, oh, yeah, sweet-smelling unidentified thing happening. Um, so after they like located that fault and then started doing tests on the stone in the water, which they had not done before, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like, oh, ethylene. <laughs> So the problem with this though is like research is like well that, that won't work because ethylene sort of like loses a lot of its oomph when it is exposed to sunlight. Um, and so when it comes out and exposed to sunlight, you're not going to get anything. And they're like, well, yes, sure, that's correct. But remember the little spot where the oracle sits is underground, the where there's room. no light. <clears throat> it's pitch black yeah. in there. So it's not a problem. You could absolutely use it to get high still. <laughs> anyway, back to Delphi and how Delphi worked then. So priests like Plutarch eventually had the job of translating the um, oracle's incoherent utterances into prophecy for those who came to Delphi.
1: <laughs> <Please>. um, <laughs> this so, is why you so shouldn't trust books like is all like what the number one selling book in the world. Anyway, you can't <laughs> trust. That for a you can't trust these oldies. Come on so, now.
0: So um, so the oracle is not speaking to most people directly. The oracle comes out of her little room and just says a few things that are like super drunk ramblings, big, drunk ramblings, kind of deal. And then the priests translate it into something that they can then give to whoever's asking, because they're they're almost always customized to the person.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Um. So, people would come far and wide to see the Oracle. It was such a prominent location that for a time it had one of the world's largest banks. It was just in Delphi. Delphi is not very large, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) Um, The Oracle could only see so many people a day, obviously. Like, the Oracle's a person, (laughs) and there's only one of them. Um, But this number could vary day to day. It wasn't like. She could consistently see 200 people. She's like, oh, today we're done at 50 mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, usually because maybe the next person in line is a particularly wealthy or powerful person and forcing them to stay le- longer might have a political or financial advantage. Yeah. Like, oh, King so and so's next in line. <laughs> okay, the oracle is done for the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, So, so not only, like, so they can take advantage of money or delaying political decisions for whatever reason. Part of that would be because they had spies <laughs> that would go around and listen. Because, like, they made you just hung out in, like, the yeah. taverns or, like, at the gaming event or the music, whatever's happening, right? Um, whatever event you're attending to entertain yourself while you're stuck in Delphi waiting for this prophecy. Um, and then, you know, like, people who worked for the temple would be like, oh, okay, that's what they want to hear or that's what their goal is or, like, oh, wait, we need to hear from someone else to tell us how we should answer mm-hmm. for, like, a politically advantage or, like, war-based ad- advantage. Um Like, it wasn't unheard a hurry to spend, like, an entire season in Delphi waiting to see the Oracle, like, just all of spring. Yeah. <laughs> it was, like, you might just not be back. Like, you might be gone for a year. If you're going to mm-hmm. see the Oracle, it's going to be a while.
1: It's going to be a journey. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's going to be an odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, for sure, definitely, the trans like, the priests translating these prophecies were um, never, ever altering them for any sort of advantage whatsoever. No, definitely why would they never do happening. that?
1: Um, why would they <laughs> do
0: that? So, some great and powerful people who were definitely recorded as having visited the oracle include Sophocles, um, okay. Creus of Lydia, and Alexander the Great. I only know...
1: What was so great about
0: him? Um, he did something. I think he like reunited Rome again or something like that. I could be very wrong. Maybe he's founded <clears throat> Rome. He founded Rome, I think. It's either at the beginning or end of Rome when Alexander the Great does things. I don't know European history. I can't express that enough to people. So one of those lovely examples of prophecies happening because we. I'm sure there's a number that are recorded, but this one has like actual physical weight in the world. So it's when Croesus of Lydia um, reportedly made an offering to the oracle worth a fortune um, to see if he should invade the neighboring kingdom. <laughs> oh the answer gosh. he got was if you go to war, you will cause the destruction of a great empire. Um, and the oracle was right. Croesus oh, of Lydia no. went to war, was defeated and captured. <laughs> <laughs> he sent word to the oracle. <clears throat> um, because this is a great example of both like politically manipulating a prophecy and also the prophecies were extremely vague just as a rule (laughs) they're twisting them any way that you Mm -hmm. see beneficial to you um so he sent word to the oracle after this debacle um and this has to be one of the earliest records of i used it wrong and then it's your fault that i used it wrong (laughs) Use. he's like how dare you you said I would win, and the oracle responded back and said, Mm-mm, no. <laughs> I didn't say which empire would fall. You just assumed you'd win. That's on you. That's your hubris right there, man.
1: <laughs> Men.
0: Um, so Delphi was used for somewhere around 1,400 years um, with, like, oracle in place, and that entire time held, like, a powerful influence over, like, the Greek world, basically, Um, really cool, important place until the fourth century when, um, the oracle no longer functioned because prophesying had stopped because it had been made illegal by the Roman empire, um, because they found it to be against the Christian values. And then it like fell into disrepair. I think there was a Byzantine like church built on it, which is normal in Greece. Um, any place that there was an old like polytheism, temple, they would build a Byzantine church, no matter how teeny tiny. Which is infuriating and hilarious. Because these the, some of these are, like, the size of this, like, bedroom. Yeah. Little church, size of the bedroom, just to be like, no, Christianity, boom. <laughs> I think it. it's so stinking funny. I and mean, that's, that's also how, like, the polytheistic religions worked there. It's like, they'd be switching out the temples all the time, so this uh-huh. was not an uncommon practice. It's just, it stopped after that. It's just, like, all thinking and like considering religion was stopped because it was just it's so christianity boring. after that
1: why does why does that have to ruin everything
0: just let people worship what they want man
1: nope no one's allowed to do anything they want everything you want to do is wrong no
0: that's not very nice too bad it's so sad <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, how, I mean, that's, that's the world we live in
0: that is really cool if you ever go to Greece and, like, you're in Athens, there's, like, a whole bunch of <clears throat> day-trip options for, like, a taxi driver, who's not a normal taxi driver, he's a taxi driver tour guide, will, like, drive you to the spaces.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They don't take you into Delphi. That's, like, an extra cost or a different service, but, like, yeah. they'll take you there and then you don't have to drive if you don't want to. Yeah. But also, I if I go back to Greece, I'll drive there. It, the roads are not a problem from what I saw. It's, like, complicated to get out of Athens
1: other than that. Okay. Yeah, I haven't heard of. Like, I've heard of Delphi, but I haven't heard of the story. What is it, Delphi? Yeah.
0: Everyone knows Delphi is a thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so today I'm covering the story of Frederick Valentich, or Valentech, however you want to pronounce that. He's Australian. So I got my information from Wikipedia.org, military airshows.co.uk, simpleflying.com, unsolved.com allthatisinteresting.com and skepticalinquirer.org okay so here's his early life frederick valentech or tish i think it's titch i said valentech the first time like i think in my head i just decided it's valentech for some reason when i was doing the research Valentich. So, Frederick Me. Valentich, born June 9th, 1958, was studying to be a pilot, and he had about 150 hours total flying time, and held a class for instrument rating. sorry, I can't read today, which authorized him to fly at night, but only in visual, meteorological, I can't read that today, meteorological. <laughs> meteorological conditions so like perfect nighttime flying conditions like no storms, no storms or, no like clouds, you can see every no single star small. in the sky kind of thing great day to be the um, Milky way so so he's like new to it but also trusted enough to be flying at night so mm. he's like, he has a pretty good amount of hours. Like, he isn't a total rookie at flying. Yeah. Um, he had tried to enlist in the Royal Australian Air Force um, twice, but was rejected both times because he did not meet the education uh, qualifications, which I just, I would assume he just didn't pass whatever test yeah, he has to, you know, means. do to get in. Um, he was, however, a member of the Royal Australian Air Force Training Corps, And was determined to have a career in aviation. He was studying part-time to become a commercial pilot, uh, but he wasn't great in school, like the actual, you know, writing, (laughs) reading stuff. I'm not saying he's illiterate, but I'm just saying, like, he wasn't good at actual school. Not everyone's good at school, yeah. Um, He had failed all five commercial license examination subjects uh, twice. Um... Which I would assume that's, like, there's five different portions or something. Because he didn't take five tests five times.
0: Yeah, I assume it's five portions.
1: Um, He had obtained a private pilot license in September of 1977, though. So he's still, like, he's trying really hard. But, like, yeah. you know, some people aren't, can't do tests. They have test yeah. anxiety or whatever. Um, by no accounts, he was, like, a totally... He wasn't a dumb an entirely person. incompetent yeah. person. He just he was just not good at school <laughs> Yeah, so he had gotten into some trouble while flying before. He once flew into a controlled zone in Sydney, um, which he received a warning for, and he had deliberately flown into a cloud on two occasions. And for this, he was um, uh, being considered for some sort of prosecution um, or some kind of, you know...
0: I'm so proud to be for a decipher
1: <laughs> Every time. Well, because my computer, whenever you type something, it just autofills the word. And so I don't ever, like, look back mm-hmm. at it while I'm actively typing. So then I just come up on it. Okay, so on October 21st, 1978, at this point, what, well, he was 20 years old. Yeah. yeah. So, um, he was 20 years old. Um, and he told flight officials that he was going to King Island which is one of the three islands in the bass strait that make up the new year group um you know australians might know this i don't um to pick up some friends however he had told others and all of the articles just said others i don't know if he meant that meant like friends or other pilots that he was talking to at the airport Mm -hmm. or like what somebody else um he had told others that he was going to pick up crawfish so
0: i didn't know crawfish there's two in varying
1: <laughs> stories I,
0: why really wouldn't didn't. they because <laughs> not everything lives everywhere
1: i mean yeah, i guess look up australian crawfish let's see what they look like so anyway there's two varying stories so to this day people aren't really sure like what he was going there for
0: oh i'm so sorry that i didn't use
1: crayfish do you think they call him crayfish instead of crawfish
0: that's a great question. I think they call them crawdaddies exclusively. With southern Mud
1: <laughs> um <laughs> So anyway, he was traveling in a single-engined Cessna 182, and he took off from Morabin Airport in Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne? How do they say it? They get mad when people say it wrong. Melbourne.
0: Well, the problem is you have to say it with an accent, and we don't have that accent. It's not on purpose. I
1: know. That's just how it comes out of my mouth. And I can't do an Australian accent, so I'm not going to offend anybody that way. I just
0: apologize.
1: I'm saying it wrong. Just like tries to say it 10 different ways. Um, So his flight plan called for a 40-minute trip west along the Australian coast. Then at Gray Ottaway, he would head south for a half-hour run over Bass Strait. So it would be a 125-mile trek um, all in all.
0: They're really blue. Oh, how cute. They're pretty. Yeah. Wow. That's like a prime aquarium example.
1: Anyway. Okay. So Frederick radioed Melbourne. Melbourne. Like, that sounds kind of good. That doesn't sound too bad. Um, flight service at 7.06 p.m. to report that an unidentified aircraft was following him at 4,500 feet, 1,400 meters. Control told him that there was no known traffic at that level and asked him if he could identify it. Frederick said he could see a large unknown aircraft that appeared to be illuminated by four bright landing lights, and it was a long shape. He was unable to to confirm its type, but said it had passed about one thousand feet, three hundred meters, overhead and was moving at high speed. Uh so Stephen Roby was the ground control communicating with Frederick. He said, quote, he wasn't to the point where he was panicking, but he was genuinely concerned by what he saw. He was worried. He sounded confused. Then as he described what the aircraft was doing, I became a little concerned too. So he then reported that the aircraft was approaching him from the east And said the other pilot might be purposely toying with him. He said the aircraft was, quote, orbiting above him and that it had a shiny metal surface and a green light on it. He said after it was orbiting him that it just vanished. It then reappeared approaching him from the southwest. He also said that he was experiencing engine problems. He said it was um, rough idling and coughing his plane um Mm -hmm. control asked what his intentions were and he said my intentions are uh to go to king island uh melbourne that's good um uh, that strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again it is hovering and it's not an aircraft His transmission was then interrupted by unidentified noise described as, quote, metallic scraping sounds before all contact was lost and an alert was immediately declared. So I have, like, the actual um, transcript. Yeah. So let's see here. Which one looks easier to read? Probably this This one. one. (laughs) So. It's just going to be, like, Frederick and then Roby or the ground control, however you would like me to describe them. So, it starts with Frederick. Is there any known traffic below 5,000 feet? No traffic known. I am... Seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000. What type of aircraft is it? I cannot confirm. It is... What does that mean? Oh, wow. It is four bright it seems to me like landing lights the aircraft just passed me passed over me at least a thousand feet above roger and it it is a large aircraft confirm or unknown due to the speed it's traveling is there any air force aircraft in the vicinity no known aircraft in the vicinity it's approaching right now from due east towards me silence for two seconds it seems, to me, <laughs> it seems to me that he's playing some sort of game. He's flying over me two, three times at, at a time at speeds I could not identify. Roger, what is your actual level? My level is four and a half thousand. Five, five, four, five, zero, zero. And confirm you cannot identify the aircraft? Affirmative. Roger, standby. It is not an aircraft. It is silence for two seconds. Can you describe the uh, aircraft? As it's flying past, it's a long shape. Silence for three seconds. Cannot identify more than that it had such speed. Silence for three seconds. It is before me right now, Melbourne. Gotta say it like that so nobody gets mad at me. (laughs) And how large would the uh, object be? Also, the ums is them, by the way. I but doing a really good job
0: reading this? They
1: <laughs> say er, but I'm not saying that because I'm not Australian and that sounds weird. Um, what I'm doing right now is orbiting and the thing is just orbiting on top of me also. It's got a green light and sort of metallic, like it's all shiny on the outside. Silence for five seconds. It's just vanished. Would you know what kind of aircraft I've got? Is it military aircraft? Confirm the uh, aircraft just vanished. Say again. Is the aircraft still with you? It's a uh, nor silence for two seconds. Now approaching from the Southwest, the engine is is rough idling. I've got it set at 2324 and the thing is coughing. Roger, what are your intentions? My intentions are uh, to go to King Island, uh, Melbourne. That strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. Silence for two seconds. It is hovering and it's not an aircraft and then there was silence for 17 seconds open microphone and just a bunch of the metallic scraping noise and that was it yeah <laughs> okay so so he never arrived on King Island and it was found out that he never even informed King Island Airport that he planned on landing there which went against standard procedure um, <clears throat> a seize and air search were undertaken um, that included ship traffic and RAAF, the Royal Australian Air Force, Lockheed P three Orion aircraft, and eight civilian aircraft. Ryan, what did I say? Orion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying my best. You are <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the search covered over a thousand square miles, two thousand six hundred kilometers squared so search efforts ended on october 25th 1978 without finding anything um even though the plane had a radio survival beacon um so it should be pinging yeah so the plane was fully fueled with around five hours of flying time and was equipped with four life jackets so um there could have been chance of survival because mm-hmm. there, you know it wasn't and running out of fuel wouldn't have been an issue Um, If you were going to crash, you could have grabbed a life jacket. Um, So let's see. An investigation into Frederick's disappearance was launched by the Australian Department of Transport, but they weren't able to determine the cause of the disappearance, but said it was, quote, presumed fatal for Frederick. After his disappearance, his dad, Guido, said that Frederick was a big believer in UFOs and was worried about being attacked by them. He was said to have watched movies about aliens and collected clippings about UFO sightings, which, if I'm not mistaken, there were a lot—I mean, this is when, I mean, UFO sightings in America were, like, going off, but Mm -hmm. in Australia there were, too. Like, Mm -hmm. this was a really Mm -hmm. um, active time. And obviously, we weren't freaking wrong, so. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A month after Frederick's disappearance, another private plane flying over the Bath Strait reported seeing what he thought was the outline of a submerged plane— Um, But while flying back over it a second time, he wasn't able to confirm that it was an aircraft under the water. So that, like, nobody Uh even, like, really looked into it. Five years after Frederick's plane went missing, an engine cow flap was found, washed ashore on Flinders Island. Um, In July 1983, the Bureau of Air Safety Investigation asked the Royal Australian Navy Research Laboratory... What was the likelihood of the cow flap traveling to its spot on Flinders Island um, if it had come off of Frederick's presumed crashed plane and around the site that he was in Mm -hmm. that he technically might have crashed in? Um, And they said that the part had been identified as having come from a Cessna 182 aircraft between a certain range of serial numbers, which did include Frederick's airplane. Mm -hmm. But I guess they don't really have, like, which serial number went to each plane. Um so they couldn't totally confirm that it did come from his plane. Yeah. Um there was allegedly an eyewitness who came forward and said that around the time of Frederick's disappearance, he and his family were returning from an afternoon outing when they noticed unusual activity in the sky. He said, "Quote, I looked up and saw this long green light about 1000 or 2000 feet above the aircraft. So we sat there and watched it for a few seconds and the green light kept closer to the crept closer to the plane." I said, that plane is coming down pretty steep. It's on a 45-degree angle. I said, I think it's going to crash. But then he never saw if the plane did actually crash or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Ken Llewellyn of the Royal Australian Air Force said this about Frederick's flight. Quote, 'It it is a fairly normal exercise. He had an appropriate instrument rating for the trip. It was a very straightforward flight, and I could see no reason why it shouldn't have concluded successfully. What happened, um, three fourths of an hour into that flight, I think, will be one of the greatest mysteries of Australian aviation. So here are the theories.
0: I had to look up where like King's Island was versus like Flinders. That's King's Island. That's Flinders. That's Tasmania. That's a big. That's the entirety of the Bass mm-hmm. Strait. That's a a big difference. He got very off course if parts of his plane was washing up on the opposite side of that street. Well, it was also
1: five years later, I think. So it had the time to. True. But um,
0: But I also don't know how the currents go there. Yeah,
1: I don't either. So it has been assumed that Frederick staged his own disappearance. Um, Melbourne, Melbourne police received reports of a light aircraft making a mysterious landing not far from Cape Ottawa. Or Ottawa. Um, at the same time as Frederick's disappearance. So apparently the aircraft was never plotted on radar. Um, I didn't see this anywhere else, but like, I don't know if anybody else was like tracking where his plane was, you know, Mm. this whole time. So, yeah, but I know like you can't get to certain radio stations Mm -hmm. and like when they can like track how far your radio is from them, I think. I don't know. I'm not a plane person. (laughs) So another theory was that Frederick could have been deceived by the illusion of a tilted horizon. When the sun sets, some of the horizon is still bright while the rest gets gradually darker. And the imbalance in the lighting can cause the horizon to appear tilted and make a pilot alter the plane's flight to compensate. With the aircraft nose pointing downwards, the speed increased, and the plane goes into what is referred to as a graveyard spiral. Um, while Frederick should have been paying attention to his instruments, he was distracted by what he thought was a UFO. Um...
0: And the green light wouldn't be off because that's part of like the sun setting. It's like a flash mm-hmm. of green light. And this over was the ocean like around the
1: exact time. Yeah. At this time of year, that, that the that sun would like be setting.
0: Absolutely reasonable. Um,
1: theory. So another theory was that Frederick had become disoriented and was flying upside down. If this had happened, the lights he thought he saw would be his own plane's lights reflected in the water, and he would have then crashed into the water. But the model of the plane he was flying could not have flown upside down for a long time because it has a gravity feed fuel system, mm-hmm. so the engine would have cut out very quickly. So I don't think, like, there would have been time That's for unlikely, that call yeah. that he was on and They, they know he would have been flying yeah. for at
0: least this long upside down,
1: so. so... another theory is that he committed suicide, but interviews with doctors and colleagues who knew him basically eliminated that possibility. Also, why would you and be the fact, in, like, yeah, that, having that say.
0: conversation? Seems unlikely.
1: So... A 2013 review of the radio transcripts and other data by astronomer and retired United States Air Force pilot (laughs) (laughs) James McGaha and author Joe Nichol suggested that the inexperienced Frederick was deceived by the illusion of a tilted horizon. So they're supporting that Mm -hmm. theory that I talked about. And he attempted to compensate and inadvertently put his plane into the Graveyard Spiral, which is um,
0: which is what that guy saw, too, is uh
1: huh. Um, plane going
0: down and going down fast,
1: which he initially mistook for simple orbiting of the aircraft. Um, according to the authors, the g forces of a tightening spiral would decrease fuel flow. Resulting in the rough idling that was was reported by Frederick. They also proposed that the apparently stationary overhead lights that Frederick reported were probably Venus, Mars, and Mercury, along with the brightest star, the bright stars and Terra's.
0: Yeah. um, I think it's a southern hemisphere one, so I would never, know um, it. <laughs>
1: which would have behaved in a way consistent with Frederick's description. And at that time, and like that year, oh, or whatever, it's gone, and there's in the part whole, of the spiral where you're not yeah. seeing it, and
0: he comes back, oh, it's back. <laughs> <coughs>
1: um, so another theory, um, ufologists have speculated that extraterrestrials. I speculate that extraterrestrials either destroyed Frederick's plane or abducted him. Which I'm here for this theory. I'm here for they took the whole plane. Honestly, they well, said it's, that the it's individuals
0: either spiral, or they took the whole plane. Those are I think they two took options the whole plane. To me,
1: they said that individuals who have encountered UFOs have also reported seeing an erratically moving green light in the sky. The ground, the group Ground Saucer Watch, based in Phoenix, Arizona, (laughs) claims that photos taken by plumber Roy Manifold on the day of Frederick's disappearance show a fast-moving object exiting the water near Cape Ottawa, Ottawa Lighthouse, which is near where all of this took place. Um, So, Ground Saucer Watch argued that they showed, quote, a bona fide unknown flying object of moderate. Dimensions apparently surrounded by a cloud-like vapor exhaust residue. Although the pictures were not um, apparently clear enough to identify the object. So on the evening of the flight, Roy Manifold had been setting up uh, to photograph a sunset at Cape Ottawa, Ottawa. Which was almost directly under Frederick's flight path. Quote, I'd done the normal thing, had the camera on automatic exposure, and I took six photographs of the sun disappearing into the sea. When developed, Manifold said one of the photographs had a weird blemish. Quote, I observed this mark on the print um on the print that looked like a developing error or something. They must it up, I said. Just a oh, so first he thought it was all messed up and like whatever and then he said just a minute that night I took that is exactly the night that the guy disappeared so then he's like you know thinking maybe that has something Mm -hmm. to do with it Um, a leading Australian photo lab found neither dirt nor damage on the negative determining that the strange mark was actually in the picture the negative was later sent to the US for computer analysis by UFO researchers Um, they claimed that the blot it was actually a solid metallic object to them, it appeared to be enveloped in a cloud of exhaust situated about a mile from the camera. A second analysis stated that the mark could be a developing error, but, you know, the people in Australia said it wasn't, so I don't know.
0: It's not a good photo. Um,
1: yeah. So Roy, real <laughs> Roy Manifold said, quote, unfortunately, I didn't see it and I didn't hear anything that night either. First time I've had something on my printings and I've done thousands of photographs and without any incidents of anything like that on them. Um, A UFO action group in Victoria claimed that an unidentified farmer saw a 30-meter aircraft hovering over his farm the morning after Frederick went missing. He also claimed that Frederick's aircraft was stuck to the side of the UFO, leaking oil. The group never learned of the name of the farmer and have been searching for him since 2013. And that is the story of the disappearance of Frederick Valentish. Only I could say his name right. Sorry, Frederick.
0: I like disappearing planes. Not I, know. That I, I don't like that they to go disappearing, but I like the stories. I always find really interesting.
1: Yeah,
0: I like all the theories that people come up with. People put so, so much effort into creating mm-hmm. like genuine theories, like experts. So because
1: we've all been deprived of knowing for sure that aliens have been real this whole time, <laughs> and now we know. I don't know why people just have to be such haters and not believe in the fun things about life.
0: That's what I don't get. Why
1: couldn't UFOs be real? Stranger things have happened. Why couldn't aliens be real? Why can't Bigfoot be real? We're still discovering stuff constantly. Everybody acts like we've, we've, you know, explored every inch of this planet. We haven't even gotten close. But anyway. I don't even know what's in the ocean not even like close anyway why not believe in the fun stuff we don't Truly. know anything we're like grains of sand on this planet i don't know why people think we're more than that
0: they all we're make here- syndrome.
1: sand stays longer than we do that's really true anyway that's so incredibly true. <laughs> anyway uh aliens are real bigfoot's more than likely real everything weird's probably real um And try not to kill anybody and don't mess with Ouija boards, Bye. bye.